Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series entitled Christianity's Family Tree. In this series we're exploring the different branches and denominations of the Christian church. Join us now for the message, Presbyterianism, the Sovereignty of God. to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I'm Jane Grainer and I'm the senior pastor. And I'm Wesley McCall, I'm the music director. And a special welcome to all of you who are still gathering with us on Facebook. This is gonna be, this is a very exciting Sunday this morning. We're having our first hybrid service, regular service that we've had now in, I don't know, we're almost two years. We, we had one on, on Easter sunrise service. But we want to welcome everyone who's here in person, everyone who is there on Facebook uh, joining us. Today is World Communion Sunday. So we have Christians from all over the world that are going to be sharing in communion during this 24-hour period. And now we, too, will be able to share with them uh, in this wonderful occasion of World Communion Sunday. Now we're going to be asking today, is God in control or... Do we have free will? And have you therefore been predestined to come to this service? Obviously those in person, yes, you were predestined to come to this service. This is part of our Christianity's Family Tree sermon series and later we will have the message on Presbyterianism, the sovereignty of God. As usual, we will be taking live prayer requests. You can post them there on the Facebook feed. Those of you who are there here in person can also post them 
on the Facebook feed, but we also have prayer cards and pins as well if you want to be make a prayer request. And I think Janice has them. Um, somebody, somebody, there, Jennifer has the cards and pins if you want to fill out a prayer card. If you fill out a physical prayer card, then just bring it up with you when we have communion and you can put it in the basket that'll be on the altar. You can also, I would like to invite, if you haven't done so, so far this week, to make an offering through the ministry of this church. You can do that on our website, tumcd.org. You can do it through our church center app. You can always write a check and mail it to the church. For those of you who are here in person, if you would like to make a cash or check offering, you can put that in the basket as well on the altar as you come up for communion. You can also make a donation to our October communion rail offering to the Sager Brown Depot. We haven't been able to go in person for the last two years, but we still want to support this ministry, particularly at this year when we've had so many storms. So as you know, Sager Brown Depot sends uh, flood buckets and cleaning buckets to those who have experienced storms, as well as a lot of other ministries that are so important. So we'll be su uh, supporting the Sager Brown Depot this month. Also another call out, Smith Elementary is still, uh, could still use child-sized cloth face masks. So if you would like to donate to that, you can leave those masks in our church biz box there by our front door. Just a reminder about our connection groups. We have three connection groups, two of which meet on Sunday mornings at 9.30. We have our Skype, uh, our UM Disciplines class on Skype, and our Lyft class on Zoom. And right now they're studying the book, Faithful Witness in a Fractured World, Models for an Authentic Christian Life. And then finally, you have the pastor's Bible study, seven o'clock on Wednesday nights, and we're just about to wrap up the book of Genesis. Join us, please, in singing, In the Lord I'll Be Ever Thankful. join me in our call to worship, which is responsive this morning. You will read the bold text. From north and south, from east and west, we come. God's people called to the table where simple grace nourishes us. From down the street to across town, from single households to apartment dwellers, God's people are called to serve where we live and serve one another. From every class, every race, every status, from little ones with sticky hands to elders with overflowing hearts. God's people are called to witness to God's hope, to offer peace for a shattered world. Please join me in our opening prayer. 
Holy Christ, enable us to remember that all are invited to this holy feast on this World Communion Sunday. As we gather this morning, let us remember our siblings from above and below the equator, from the north and from down under, from every time zone around the globe. As today's sunlight inches across land and sea and Christians gather to celebrate their place in God's family, give us unity of spirit and a heart of compassion. Amen. I often say, even though we cannot be together in the same space, we are together in the same time, but many of us are here together in the same space. And it's so wonderful to see y'all's faces. But again, also to those on Facebook, we are together in the same time. So my prayer for all of you is peace be with you. And if you will turn to your neighbor and offer a peace be with you. Our prayer for illumination this morning. Eternal God, in the reading of your scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. We have two scripture readings this morning. The first comes from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before, before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your books were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. And our second reading comes from Romans chapter 8. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The word of God for the people of God. I love playing trivia games. When Trivial Pursuit came out in 1981, my friends and family, we played all the time. And it was so refreshing for there to finally be a use for all this useless knowledge that I had just rumbling around my brain. And if I'm honest, I'm a little competitive. 
Yes, I think. Um, and if you were to ever, uh, you, this is your forewarning. If you ever get in a game with me of the Harry Potter version of Trivial Pursuit, I will wipe the floor with you. <laughs> Just letting you know ahead of time. But trivia games can be educational because, because I played Trivial Pursuit, I now have had an opportunity to learn even more additional useless facts to now rumble around my brain. For example, can you name the country besides Canada or Mexico that is closest to the United States? Cuba, the Bahamas. Cuba. I, I, one of you is right. I said Cuba, which is 90 miles from uh, the, the Florida Keys, but the correct answer is Russia which is only 55 miles from Alaska's west coast shores. Okay, who can name, the, I love that siren in the background. Who can name the first woman in space? The first woman, not the first American woman. The first woman. Valentina Tereshkova, also Russian. So here's another question. Which war in American history resulted in the highest number of deaths. Y'all are very intelligent. <laughs> Surprising. I, I guess World War II. And it is true that World War II had the most combat deaths at uh, just under 292,000. But the war that resulted in the greatest total number of deaths was the American Civil War. And I heard several of you say that. It makes sense if you think about it, because it was Americans fighting and dying on both sides, and it was a war that was fought on American soil. It ended up that the American Civil War consumed a total of approximately 655,000 souls. Now that's a very sobering statistic, and that is not a trivial statistic. The Civil War happened at a time in history when the technology of the day had resulted in the manufacture of guns that were much more accurate and bullets that were much more deadly than we had ever had before. But that also coincided at a time in history where our medical science had not advanced to the point where they were able to compensate for that. Well, as we all know, Abraham Lincoln was our 16th president and he was president all during the Civil War, the entire time. And he tried very hard to pre prevent this war. And he even came up with this plan to end slavery in a peaceful fashion. That actually makes a lot of sense. What he proposed, that the slaves be released one state at a time, the slave owners would be compensated for their lost property by the federal government, but right before the release, there would be social services already in place to help the former slaves transition to a life of freedom. It actually, if we had done this, we could have avoided the American Civil War and we could have done away with slavery. But of course, it didn't happen that way. We decided instead to slaughter one another and to maim one another. Lincoln came to believe that the carnage of the Civil War was America's just, was the Lord's just judgment against America for the sin of slavery. 
In his second inaugural address, Lincoln opined his own theology of the Civil War. And it's a theology that, that John Calvin, who the forerunner of Reformed and Presbyterian churches, the theology that John Calvin would have agreed with wholeheartedly. It's a classic example of Calvinist theology. Now I'm gonna read some from his second inauguration. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I think it so wonderfully illustrates Calvinist theology. I have changed some of the words to make it read a little bit more clearly. But in referring to both Unionists and Confederates, Lincoln spoke. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other, though it may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. If we shall suppose that American slavery is an offense against the Lord, which in the providence of God must come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers and a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with a lash shall be paid with another drop drawn from the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so shall it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. As I said, Lincoln's theology was thoroughly Calvinistic. And if you followed what he, what he was saying in his words, you see that as a Calvinist, Lincoln believed that it was for mysterious reasons, God's will to initiate American slavery, and then it was God's will to end American slavery. And then again, it was God's will for the Civil War to execute justice upon this nation for the sin of slavery. In Calvinist theology, everything that happens is God's will and indeed has been preordained by God. And God will work through events, even events just, just every bit as terrible as war, in order for God's perfect will to be done. Yet this, that does not absolve any of us of our guilt or our sin. And in Calvinist theology, we are all still deserving of God's wrath and God's just punishment. Now, most Methodists would not agree with and would ultimately reject Calvinist theology. In fact, Wesleyan theology, Methodist theology, specifically endorses belief in the free will of human beings and that salvation in Christ is a gift open to anyone who chooses to respond to God's gift of grace. Yet there are still aspects of Reformed theology that can be beneficial for Methodists. Because that's what we've been trying to do with this sermon series uh, in Christianity's Family Tree. We tried to present the bare basics of each Christianity's various branches and denominations. And then we've tried to explore aspects of each tradition that can 
inform and enlighten us and help guide us in our Christian journey. I think what's so interesting about Presbyterianism is, excuse me, Presbyterianism is that in a way our respective theologies are like polar opposites. In fact, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he formulated parts of his theology specifically in opposition to Calvinism. And yet, and if you have any Presbyterian friends, you'll know this, more than any other denomination, Methodists and Presbyterians share kind of like a common ethos, a common sensibility. And if you walked into one of our churches, you'd be very hard pressed to tell whether or not you were in a Presbyterian service or a Methodist service. Our, serv our, our worship is so similar. In fact, you, the only hint you might get is when you recited the Lord's Prayer. And we say trespasses and Presbyterians say debtors. I do think this is reflective of the fact that over the years, Methodist and Presbyterian theology has evolved in such a way that they are much closer now than they would have been like 200 years ago. And I think it also may be because both Methodism and Presbyterianism are very, very British. As you know, John Wesley was a priest in the Church of England his entire life. And Presbyterianism is the branch of the Reformed Church that originated in Britain and Scotland. So both of us, our traditions come out of, in, a, in one way or another, out of the Anglican Church. So who was, who was John Calvin? Well, he was the most well-known of the second generation leaders of the Protestant Reformation. He was kind of part of that second wave. And last week we learned about Martin Luther, who was the man who started it all. And Luther, not unlike Wesley, never intended to start a new church. He just wanted to reform the church from the inside. <laughs> but instead the church excommunicated him. Well, Luther advocated that any doctrine or practice of the Catholic Church that contradicted Scripture should be eliminated. But other reformers like John Calvin and others didn't think Luther went nearly far enough. Luther simply thought that any doctrine or practice that was contradicted by Scripture should be eliminated. Calvin believed that any doctrine or practice that's not specifically stated in Scripture should be eliminated. And that cuts out a lot. John Calvin was born in 1509, that's 26 years after Luther. He eventually became an attorney in Paris, but while there he experienced a profound spiritual awakening and eventually was convinced to become a, a Protestant. But then to escape persecution in France, he made his way to Switzerland and eventually he landed in Geneva where he became a vital part of the Protestant establishment there in that city. Well, when he was in Geneva, he began work on what is probably the most important work of systematic theology to come out of that whole early Protestant period. And it's a book called The Institutes of Religion. And he rewrote it several times, always expanding it as, his, his, as he refined his understanding of the Christian faith. And the Institutes of Religion are still considered a foundational text for all Calvinist Christians. After Calvin, those several branches of Calvinist churches were established. The Swiss and Dutch and German versions of Calvinist churches usually have the word reformed somewhere in their denominational title. They're the largest such denomination in the United States, that is the Reformed Church in America, 
has Dutch roots. There's not a lot of Reformed Church of America churches here in Texas, but they are in other parts of the country. The Puritans who helped founded this country, they were Calvinists. And their, their spiritual descendants are the Congregationalist churches. And of those, the best known is the United Church of Christ. But do, do not confuse the United Church of Christ with the churches of Christ that we find here in Texas. They're, they're, they're completely opposite theologies. Again, the United Church of Christ has a few congregations in Texas, uh, but they're much more prominent in the Northeast and the Midwest. In fact, the United Church of Christ is probably the most progressive Protestant denomination in the United States. They were the very first by many, many years, for example, uh, to start ordaining openly LGBTQ pastors. Well, finally, the Presbyterians trace their history through John Knox, and he was the leader of the Calvinist Reformation in the British Isles, and he directly founded the uh, Presbyterian Church of Scotland. And of course, so many of us are descended from Scottish and British descendants and immigrants that Presbyterians became by far the largest Calvinist group in America. There, there is one, one quote from John Knox that I really like. He wrote, I've never feared the devil, but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. I sometimes try to remember that. I think that's good advice for preachers. Well, much of Calvin's theology can be summarized in what's called the five points of Calvinism, and it's known by the acronym TULIP, TULIP, like, like, like the flower. And those five points, the first one, T, stands for total depravity. It's the idea that, that human beings are so mired in original sin that there's not a single aspect of human life that is not tainted by sin. In fact, we're so lost in our sin that we are incapable of even responding to God's overtures of grace. And in total depravity, it is believed that we are deserving of nothing except eternal damnation and God's wrath. You, unconditional election. This is sometimes better known as predestination. This is believed that from the foundation of the world, God has chosen or predestined some people for salvation. And these people are known as the elect. Others have been predestined for damnation. And the election of some persons is based solely on God's grace. The idea is all of humanity is deserving of hell and damnation because of original sin. And if God chooses to save some in an act of pure grace, well, that's God's business, but it's not based on any type of human merit. It is strictly by God's initiative and God's grace. So that leads to L, which is limited atonement. Since only some are predestined or elected for salvation, Christ's atoning death was intended only for those persons. Christ did not die for all humanity, but only for the chosen elect. Which leads to I, which is irresistible grace. If you're one of the elect, you are not free to resist God's gift of grace. Or in other words, you're saved whether you like it or not. And then finally, P, which is perseverance of the saints. As one of the elect, you are saved no matter what you do. Since you did not earn salvation, you can never lose it. 
And it's the same idea as when many of our Baptist friends say, once saved, always saved. So total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, or TULIP. Now, if you've been a Methodist very long, you may vehemently disagree with the five points of, of Calvinism. I don't think I could ever accept the idea that God has predestined some people for uh, eternal hell, fire, and damnation, or, or accept the fact that Christ only died for some people. But for what it's worth, most of the Presbyterians that we may know have since come to a far more nuanced understanding of Calvinist theology. In fact, if you talk to, to any of your Presbyterian friends for very long, it, it, it won't be long before you hear the phrase, the sovereignty of God. They might say that what the five points of Calvinism are pointing to is the idea that ultimately God is in control. In the end, when all is said and done, God's will will be done. God's ultimate purposes will be fulfilled. Furthermore, God can work through even the most dire of circumstances. God's will is going to prevail no matter what we throw at it, whether it's sin or war or hatred or death or even, or even Holocaust. God can work through even the most heinous of crimes. And we might add American slavery to that as well. And God has the power to redeem anything that may happen, any situation in which we may find ourselves imprisoned with God can be turned into an opportunity to grow even more into the image and the likeness of God. Nothing can derail God's good dream for humanity and for creation. Sin and evil and death will never have the last word. The last word will always be the word of God. That same word that was in the beginning with God, the same word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so what about that saying that we hear oftentimes and sometimes we may even say ourselves, everything happens for a reason. That's actually very Calvinist, very Calvinist thinking. Uh, so you have to ask the question, okay, so does everything happen for a reason? As a good Methodist, I would say yes, but not in the way that we normally understand that maxim. Sometimes the direct reason that something happens may simply be due to, to the cause and effect of natural laws of nature. And as we have seen these last two years, viruses are a part of nature and they can infect us. And all of us grow older and eventually die. Something can happen because a person exercising their free will makes a poor decision that has detrimental consequences. Even though we have been made painfully aware of the danger, nevertheless, some choose to forego a vaccination that I believe is nothing less than a gift from God. Something may happen just because of chance or, or, or because chaos is a real force in this world. And it is possible that some things may happen for no other reason than they are the will of God. But I think the real answer to the question, the real reason that anything happens is because God knows that the only way that we're ever going to grow is to live in a world that we cannot fully control or predict. 
The only way for us to grow emotionally, physically, morally, ethically, is if we have true freedom with real consequences. The very fact that life is not fair is part of the challenge that we're being called to confront. So what will we do with the privileges and the challenges in which we find ourselves? So that brings us back to that very famous verse that Wesley read earlier from Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Well, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, a very good Anglican, by the way, has suggested a more accurate translation may be, in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. Did you hear that subtle difference? It is subtle, but it, but it is different. The standard translation again, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. In Wright's translation, in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. God works with us to bring about what is good. We have free will, which includes the freedom to either choose or reject God's good purposes. Now we all know stuff happens. But listen to what the verse is saying. If we love God, if we trust God's faithfulness, and if we're willing to be brave enough to follow the call that God has sent us, then in the end, everything will work out for good. And by the way, the opposite is also implied. If we fail to love and trust God, and if we, if we resist God's call on our life, then things aren't gonna turn out quite so well. But no matter what happens, God can always bring order out of chaos and light from darkness and life from death. And in a pandemic followed by a winter storm that has filled us sometimes with so much grief and division and uncertainty, I personally find it very comforting to know that God is in control of the big picture, even if sometimes the only parts we can see look very chaotic. So in the final piece, of the trivial pursuit pie. What can Methodists and Presbyterians wholeheartedly agree on? God is sovereign and will never lead, leave us to the mercy of our own devices. Amen. Please join in our hymn of response, which is typed in your bulletin. Number 139, praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
Right then I played a little bit of a trick on Wesley because I failed to remind him that I had maintained the Presbyterian version of the words instead of the Methodist words that are in his hymnal. Though he did have a bulletin, I did not entirely abandon him through his own devices. Christ our Lord invites and welcomes all people throughout the earth to the table of God. If you are ready to accept Christ's invitation, if you love God, and if you repent of your sin, if you intend to lead a life in peace with all, then let us confess our sin before God and one another. Please join me now in the prayer of confession. Jesus pray that we might be one, one in spirit, one in mission, in union and communion, with each other and with you. Today, God, we confess fumblings and failures in accomplishing unity as we set aside yet another day to remind ourselves of the task. On this World Communion Sunday, give us eyes to recognize your reflection in the eyes of Christians everywhere. Give us a mind to accept and celebrate our differences. Give us a heart big enough to love all your children. And now let us confess our personal sins silently. Hear the good news, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God and amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. L let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Almighty and merciful God, we thank you for your presence in our midst as we gather in praise and thanksgiving to you. Creator God, you made humankind in your image with varied hues of skin, hair, and eyes, of varied heights and widths, with differing talents and gifts. Yet all of us are beautiful in your sight. We give you thanks for calling us to be your children. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, 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 holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ to live among us. In his time on earth, Jesus reached out to all persons, rich and poor, children, women and men, sick and marginalized, and he taught us to do the same. And he gave us this meal to remember him and taking a loaf and giving thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we give you thanks for Jesus Christ and for this meal. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves 
and praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ, Christ will come, come again. We ask your Holy Spirit to come to the table spread around the world today. Bless each person and bless our partaking that we may grow into your body united in your love and to bring your reconciling peace to the whole world. For these hopes and for all your promises given and kept, we give you thanks. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Now, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For do we not all partake of this same loaf? So this bread we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? And this cup over which we give thanks, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? As you come forward, Jenna is going to have hand sanitizer. I will give, we'll be doing by intention, obviously. I will be giving you a piece of bread and uh, you will then dip it into the cup that Wesley will then hold out for you. If you have a prayer request card or you would like to make your offering, we do have now this basket that you can put it here on the altar.
please join me in this communion prayer. O oh God, on this World Communion Sunday, we join with our sisters and brothers around the world in remembering Christ's sacrifice for us, for the opportunity to eat and drink together, and for the life we have received. We give you thanks and praise. In the abundance of your many gifts, grant us grace to fill one another's lives with love. Redeem, restore, and remold us until we are made new. Transform our daily bread into the bread of life and the cup that we drink into the cup of salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And we have several prayer requests this morning. We wanna be keeping again the people of Afghanistan in our prayers. Uh, one last headline I saw this morning, though I have no details, is another explosion has happened in the capital city. So praying uh, for all the people of Afghanistan, even those whose actions we would so deplore. So Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We reached a grim milestone this week, which you may have also seen on the news, that we reached in America, the over, we're now over 700,000 dead from COVID. And this now qualifies as the most deadly pandemic in American history. So we wanna be continuing to pray for all of those that are affected by COVID, their friends and family. We wanna be especially lifting up, and we prayed for her last Sunday, for Kathy Norod's friend, Sherry Howell, where she continues to be hospitalized with COVID. So for all of those that are affected by COVID in any way, which on some level is all of us, Lord in your mercy. We wanna keep David Van Hoosier in our prayers. His brother passed away this last week. And so keep him in your prayers, though he was able to have a second successful cataract surgery. So that has been both a, a good week and a bad week for the Van Hoosier family. But for David in the death of his brother and for all who mourn or are in grief, Lord in your mercy. And Sharon and Ed have asked us to pray for their daughter's mother-in-law, Phyllis Fife, who is in hospice for a failing kidney. So for Phyllis and her family and her medical team and her hospice team and all those that, are, that, that love Phyllis and are affected by her, um, by her illness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. But we also had things to be grateful for. I cannot hardly even describe how grateful I am to see every one of your faces of those that are here with us today. And I'm always happy about you on Facebook too. Seriously, very happy that you're here as well. But there is something special about me being able to actually share it physically with you that I miss a great deal. Sacraments are by their very design, very tactile, very physical, in many ways, a very incar in incarnational acts that we do. But we are also, though, again, grateful for those who can join us online. And we praise God then for all the other Christians all over the world 
who sometime during this 24-hour period are also celebrating Holy Communion. And that is the work of the Lord. So thanks be to God. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please join us in our closing hymn, One Bread, One Body.
Just a reminder that you can always find a recording of our service on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org, or on the church podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And I also would like to invite, if any of you out there would like to um, be in contact with the church or contact me, then just message us through our Facebook page. And your action item for this week, remember that God is in control, but you have free will to join in or put up barriers to what God is doing in the world. So please join in. And now receive this benediction. Thank you, God, for uniting us with yourself and with all people everywhere in sharing the body and blood of Christ. Now send us forth by your spirit to build and to plant and to work for the welfare of everyone around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love your neighbor. Go in peace. enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us next Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next week we'll be exploring the Episcopalian and Anglican churches as we continue our sermon series exploring the different branches and denominations of the church in Christianity's family tree. If you can't join us live, you can always listen to the recording of our service. You'll find that on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.